Yep, it's choppy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can only do the best that we can do. That's right. Yeah, and if anyone's watching this on uh, on Pej's account, sorry for the choppiness. It's also on Beginnings Treatment Center's page, streaming live. There should be zero choppiness. So tune in there. Yes. If you can't stand this channel. Okay. But it's great to be back with you, ladies and gentlemen. We took last week off. We're here again, live on the Sober Grind. As always, my name is Austin Armstrong, and I'm joined by the amazing... Hedge from Sober Grind. I'm not that amazing. I'm just... I'm you are amazing, my friends. It's always a pleasure. How's everyone doing out there today? Hope everyone's having a good time. We have an amazing topic today. We're going to be talking about the roadblocks associated with seeking recovery, both the... Uh, I, I guess mostly the first time, right? Making that that first initial call. Not always the first time. There's first a lot. There's a lot of times that uh, people have already experienced treatment, whether it be family members who have put their person in treatment or their, their loved one in treatment, or mm. or um, you know uh, had family that have gone to plenty of treatment centers. Uh, they get to a certain point where they're um, they're blocked off from trying to get them to help, whether it be mm. treatment or any kind of help for that matter they will more often than not try to fix the situation themselves. There's a lot mm. of codependency issues that go on with that. Okay. So the, I'm going to use it as a segue. So if, if anyone's paying attention, if you have any questions about seeking recovery, whether it be your first time, your 45th time, if it's for yourself or a loved one, if you're hitting any roadblocks or have any curiosities, please feel free to leave us your questions in the comments. Uh, if you're watching this not live or you're listening to this in the podcast, you can always send us an email at either Austin or Pej at beginningstreatment.com and we will certainly get back to you. So let's use that, that first question as a, as a segue into the first kind of question. Mm -hmm. What are um, uh, doing it themselves, so to speak, fixing the, the issue themselves? What do, you, what do you mean by that? What are some common things that you see? Well, based off experience, there's a lot of times, let's, let's talk about the people who have never had their mm. um, loved one in a treatment type setting where they have never been able to, um, they don't even know what, what kind of help is out there. They don't know how to go about it. Um, they don't know that there are people that can do interventions. They, they kind of mm. feel like there's some, it depends, you know, there's a stigma that's attached to addiction. Sure. So often people will be afraid. They think that if people find out that their kid is using heroin or opiates or something like that, that everyone's going to look down on them. They're going to judge them. They're going to judge their kid. They're going to judge their family. And then on top of that, if they don't have the knowledge of how to get their kid the proper help, then they're stuck. They just don't know. They, they got um, their kid in their house, you know, or wherever, doing whatever that they're doing, and they're kind of just holding the kid there. Then if they get the opportunity of being able to getting their uh, loved one the help. Um, sometimes they will say, okay, I'll do everything that it takes. I'll um, help my kid. Uh, I'll do whatever you say. If you have an interventionist or something like that that wants to come and talk, we'll, we'll uh, follow your lead, we'll follow your direction, and then all of a sudden um, they'll kind of change their tune. They'll go back to thinking that maybe, maybe you know, sometimes the trust isn't there. Mm. Sometimes they're not completely convinced that somebody else, some kind of outside help is going to be more 
available for them that would actually work. They don't realize that there's professionals that do this all the time, be it interventionists or clinicians or therapists or, or all of it, you know, the whole gamut. Treatment as a whole, they don't realize that that's what people specialize in. They specialize in helping people, uh, you know, come into the beginning process of recovery and then taking it to another level for long-term recovery. Mm. Do you think it's just a lack of, of public knowledge? Lack of public knowledge. People just aren't educated on it. They don't realize. Sure, you know, a lot of people that have been in the treatment world or have been exposed to treatment, they know everything about what treatment has to offer. There's a lot of people that don't believe in treatment. There's a lot of people that think that, a lot of people in the 12-step community that think that treatment is hogwash, it's just an expensive big book. Um, I don't follow that. I've, and I don't just say that because I'm biased and I have worked in treatment centers, but I truly think, and I, I'm a product of a treatment center. So like my recovery, the foundation was created and made and laid down through a treatment center. Mm -hmm. The treatment center is where I got to go have the individual therapy and, and all the things, the family therapy, all the things that, that were a great necessity in the very beginning of my treatment process in order to get me into long-term sobriety. So, you know, here I am like 11 and a half or 11 some odd years later and I went through treatment and it helped me a lot. I truly believe in it when it's good treatment. Yeah. A lot of families have no idea. They just think that they're shipping their kid off to some place and, and then, then you have yeah. the families who, um, they their roadblock is this. They say, here you go, take my kid, fix him. They basically think that they yeah. shouldn't have any that kind of... It never in, works. It never works. They shouldn't have any kind of involvement. Yeah. There's a reason that a lot of kids are using drugs and alcohol, depending on their family system, the, the style of living that they have, mm -hmm. what's around them, uh, the way they were brought up, all of the, um, the many different things that can happen, the psychological uh, problems, the traumatic events that happen for people. These are the things that... that uh, make a person turn to, to drugs, you know, yeah. or to become a full-blown addict. So they say, fix him. Here's my kid. Just fix him. And then the kid comes back to their house again, and they wonder why the kid doesn't stay sober. Well, obviously, if you want your kid to stay sober, you got to do the work, too. Mm -hmm. So there's a roadblock right there. They just sure. think, okay, well, he relapsed again. We'll just send him to another place, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like they don't really think that you they're a major factor. Like, they are part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed that in the past that the, the, the whole family needs to change because if you, even if they go through a, a recovery program, they come back, they're just falling into it's the same It's a family routine. disease. It's a family disease, yeah. yeah. So with that being said and the lack of, of public knowledge, do you think that causes some families to just avoid addressing the situation in general, avoiding reaching out? It depends. There's some people that just don't even know how to go about it. Hmm. So awareness needs to be raised a lot more. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I do is I go talk to communities, community centers, to police departments, to hospitals, and I let them know who I am and how I can be of service to them, whether it be as an interventionist. You know, obviously, um, it's no joke that there's a major epidemic going on on yeah. a national level. A lot of kids are on opiates. They're, they're yeah. addicted to it. It could be right in your own backyard. It could be right in your yard. So. Sure. So raising public knowledge and going out and letting people know 
that there are services that we provide. If you happen to know of somebody who's suffering or you are suffering or anything like that, let us know. Uh, think of us first. Call me first. And I would be glad to come down and see, you know, assess the situation, see what's going on with the individual, see where they are in their life, whether they're shacked up in some house um, doing fentanyl yeah. or they're homeless on the streets. However we need to go about it, we can try and help that person. But, you know, public knowledge, it just needs to be raised more. And right now, um, often we go speak in high schools, mm-hmm. um, not just to uh, the kids, but we like to talk to the parents, too, and raise awareness and let them know that there's a lot of help that's available out there. Do you think it would help if if parents and loved ones that, are, that have children um, that are affected by uh, addiction, they should be more outspoken? Do you think... Do you think the public awareness is just from the treatment side, or do you think it's more of a, of a being open to talk about this thing? I think they should very much be more outspoken and, and better before the problem gets out of hand, mm. or even worse, if they lose their loved one. Believe me, a lot of parents want to be more outspoken after they've actually lost their kid mm. to an yeah. overdose, to death. Yeah. You know, So, yeah, I mean... How can we trigger more people to to be comfortable talking about it mm, again I mean you're seeing a little bit of a a little bit of a switch now in the mental health department more right. people are being open and talking about mental health issues but there's such a, a big stigma around addiction still I think public speaking is, is of great importance you know raising awareness on a national level obviously if we hear about it every other day if not every day in the news about you know how the rise of, of overdoses and death has gotten to an all-time high. Um, the word just needs to get out, whether it be through the educational system, mm. um, commercially, you know, on television, um, and then we are starting to see more movies come out. Movies, about substance documentaries, abuse. documentaries. I mean, yeah. I, I really would like to see more documentaries that are geared around um, the families and what they've gone through, rather than just uh, the problem, mm-hmm. because we already know the problems there. What are we going to do about the problem? Mm-hmm. You know, and if we don't nip it in the bud, starting with the families, you know, then it, it, if we start to actually raise awareness, families will know how to act and do and go about certain things. If they see that their kid went from smoking marijuana last year to, you know, all of a sudden taking grandma's pills and doing right. oxys the next year, how can we catch that before it gets really out of hand and before the kid suddenly starts actually shooting, you know, intravenously um, heroin, you know? Yeah. So, and that's... It's such a common thing. I mean, in my world, it's so common that we see it so often. And, and nowadays, it's, it, I'm sad to say, but we bury so many people. We hear of so many people that pass away and die from the disease of addiction that you kind of become used to it. It's like I almost mm-hmm. numb out to um, hearing about somebody else overdosing and dying. When it, when it hurts when me the When you know mo- it's become a bad issue. And it, it, it hurts me the most when it really hits close to home. Like when, sure. it's, when it's either somebody who I was working with firsthand or when it's family members. And believe you me, there's family members of mine that are caught up in that world. Yeah, same here. I mean, I'm, I'm terrified every day to get that call from my sister. I mean, mm-hmm. It's a ticking time bomb for everyone that's so you understand. going through it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, let's kind of pivot to the individual. Okay. What are some roadblocks that might cause that individual in the mix of it to not reach out? That, that first phone call is so important, and it's such a hard thing to do. There's a number of things. I think that sometimes people, let's say the individual that's suffering with addiction, 
they will make a million excuses up of why they won't make the initial call for help. For one, it can be the job. Mm-hmm. They feel mm-hmm. that they might lose their job. Mm. And not to say that I don't think anybody can really function properly in a job setting when you're not well because you're on drugs sure. or alcohol. And sure. believe it, people are drinking before they go to work. People are drinking at work. It happens often. They know what to drink so that it's not on their breath. And sometimes they hide it really well and sometimes they don't hide it so well yeah. to where their own coworkers and other people are on to them, right? So jobs are obviously something that hold people back. People think that they're going to lose their job. How am I going to go away to treatment? Uh, what will I tell my boss? Am I... So there's, you know, there's ways around that. Obviously, yeah. they can get FMLA, which is Family Medical Leave Assistance, and then also um, leave of absence. You know, for medical purposes, you can leave and and still be able to hold your job. And then there, there's some jobs that you can go to your actual job and let them know, depending on you know what company that you have a problem and that you need help. And uh, you know, a lot of them are obligated to having you get the proper help that you need and then yeah. allowing you to come back. Now, I'm not saying that anyone should just do that because I wouldn't want you to lose your job and say, well, Paj said, right? Mm-hmm. But I'll say, like, the, if a job is what's holding you back from getting help, um, there's ways around that. Um, other things that hold you back are kids, having kids. How am I going to sure. be there for my kids, you know? How am I going to raise my kids? Who's going to watch my kids when I go there? So not to say that you're not really um, a functioning parent, when you're not all there, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So uh, the best thing that you could do is to go and actually get that help and then come back and really be present in your kids' lives yeah. rather than be checked out. Um, there's a lot of other things. There's fear. I mean, plain and simple, a lot of people are just fearful. There's embarrassment. What is the family going to think of me? What are people are going to think of me? Everybody thinks that um, everyone's going to be like mad and look down at you for actually getting help. I was having a conversation with a with a young lady this morning, you know, mm-hmm. 35-year-old woman that was, you know, uh, pretty down. You know, she had some, some problems that have happened more recently. But um, I think what she just wanted to hear is that th- somebody on the other end of the phone was uh, having a relatable conversation yeah. with her rather than, you know, just trying to sell her on going to treatment. I wasn't trying to sell her on anything. I just told her my experience. This is what happened. Perfect age, 35 is like you're not a, you're not in your young adulthood anymore. You're not a child or a teenager anymore, and you're not a full on like older adult. You are mm-hmm. basically in the middle part of your life, and it's a really good time to really find yourself. You know, if you're lost, and just in talking with her, you know, I, I, I was hoping that she would see that there's somebody else that has gone through this as well as many other people. So there's that fear, and she's you know. I, God knows how long it took her to actually pick up the phone and ask for help, but she did call today. Yeah. yeah. So you, you think that's some of the reason why people put it off until it's it's almost too late? Well, sometimes well, also when they're engulfed in their addiction. Yeah. Um, addicts and alcoholics have a tendency to say, I know I need to get help. I plan on getting help. I hope to get help. But I'm gonna just put it off a little bit longer. Yeah, I can. You know, I used to call myself the Monday man. Sure. Yeah. Because, Chronic procrastination. Because heaven all forbid, if it's Thursday, yeah, that means it's right before Friday. Right. Sure. And right into the weekend. And why would I go get the help right now? Um, I'll just wait until Monday until I make any 
serious decisions. And then by the time it was Monday, I would be hungover. By Tuesday, I would kind of normalize. By Wednesday, Thursday looked really appealing. And by Thursday, that you know, you know, Thursday's yeah. Friday Junior, so here we go yeah, again. Exactly. And I did this, this became a cycle. So there's a lot of people that are so caught up in the world of addiction and alcoholism that um, actually making the initial call, you got to really be hurting yeah. to ask for help. You know, whether it be spiritually, mentally, physically, or emotionally, you have to have that. And then they say, people have to hit their bottom to go get help. Well, this is my opinion. This is just my opinion. Yeah. There are bottoms come in many different forms. Rock bottom comes in many different yeah. forms. And there's trap doors there's to bottoms. There's a trap door to, to every, <laughs> to, to every, to every yep. bottom, right? Yep. I mean, if you think about it, like... I got in trouble with drugs in my car or just drugs in general. I got raided. I went to jail. You think that should be a bottom. There should be an eye opener. Hey, man, your life's not working out for you. You got in trouble for possession and they want to, with intent to sell the drugs. Now you're sitting in jail. This should be a bottom, right? I could be absolutely convinced in jail. When I get out, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. But if I don't have something set, like a plan of recovery set up, whether it be in there or right when I get out, I'm going to most likely go and chase what I know best is the drugs, right? Mm-hmm. Or the alcohol. I'll go have a drink right when I get out. I, I did that several times, you know? So it's like uh, that bottom was not really a bottom, you know? Or I overcame that bottom right away, and I was right back to doing what I was doing. Yeah. You, have a, you have a photographic memory. I'm really happy you remember the, the, the trap door. The trap door? Well, we have so many good conversations. He listens to this me, is, guys. This is what episode 34 of I, I'm learning so much. learn by proxy yeah I mean really chronic procrastination and putting it off to the last minute affects every fearful situation in life and I'm sure when you're in the the thick of of addiction it's just elevated even even that much Mm -hmm. more yeah well also and I'll say this and not you know one of the things that I see a lot of family members do in creating a roadblock and helping their loved one get the help. And it's very sad that this happens, but I see it so often. It must be talked about because mm-hmm. I wish less people would do, I wish people would do the opposite of what I'm about to describe. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go to their house. I will hear the problem. I will hear about the problem. The problem isn't in the room. The family tells me about the problem. Everybody gives me their input on what the problem is and how it's in that one room. Yeah. And, we, and I will lay out for them what needs to be done, how I need everybody to be on board. Uh, you know, the majority usually will say they're on board, but if one or two of them back out or screw up the pro, the, and I'm talking family members that are telling me they want to help their kid that has the problem. If they back out and they're afraid to put that kid out on the street or... Um, they think this is too much or the kid isn't going to go for it or all these different things, they can definitely just make everything go into disarray to the point Mm -hmm. where we can't go through and help the problem with a proper intervention. We cannot intervene properly in that child's life. So then what happens? They, They ask us, okay, well, thank you for your services. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for listening to us. We're gonna try to handle the situation. And then the problem remains in the house and they're harboring the problem, yeah. and then the problem overdoses and dies. And that's mm. what we see happen very often. And it's happened in very recent times. So um, I say leave it up to the professionals to do the work in trying to help solve the problem, or at least get the problem into a place where it, 
it has more chances of being solved than for it to still reside in the home where the problem originated, resides, continues to be a problem, and will probably end by its own demise, like as you know, a death, yeah, which is the reality of this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Heavy stuff, huh? Heavy stuff. That's the reality of it, and it's really sad and scary. Yeah. We usually I mean, like to be more upbeat, but, you know... Yeah, well, it's... I've just been seeing some gotta, stuff lately, man. we got to face the reality of the situation, too. Uh, this is... I, I want to open this up, too. Um, if anyone's watching right now, uh, or if you're listening to this or watching it after the fact, uh, we always feel encouraged to leave any questions, uh, comments... Or just say hello or where you're watching from because we want to know how far we, we reach. Um, this is episode 34. I was, I was saying we have, we've crossed thousands of listeners now uh, on our podcast and our videos. It's incredible mm -hmm. what we've been able to, to achieve. And we're so fortunate and happy to have all of you listening and, and watching and interacting and leaving all of these, these amazing questions. And hopefully this podcast is helpful to you. That's <laughs> why we're, we're doing what we're doing. Uh, while we're waiting, if, if anyone has any questions, we will, we will answer them live here or after the fact. But I want to backtrack a little bit because I think it's really important to something you were talking about earlier yes. is w overcoming some of those fears with um, if they have obligations, if they're in work, if they have children. Mm -hmm. what are, so there's, there's programs like outpatient programs and evening outpatient right. and whatnot. What are some... Can you explain a little bit more about that and, and kind of how people can, well, if it can maintain their Sure. When it comes life. to just the individual, the, the best thing that a person could do for themselves is making that absolute decision. Yeah. And that decision consists of, you know what? What I'm doing is not working for me. <laughs> I need some guidance. I need some direction. Mm -hmm. So rather than them try to tailor a plan of I'm going to go into IOP and I'm just going to continue to work, Try and have somebody else answer those questions for you. Ask questions. Tell people, look, I'm not doing well. It doesn't hurt to tell someone you're not doing well and you'd like help. If you talk to, let's say, like an admissions counselor for a treatment center, their job is to talk to you and help you kind of see what's going on in your life. Like they want to hear what's going on with you, let you realize like what's going on and what could happen if you mm -hmm. actually were to seek the treatment. Whether you go to that treatment center or to another treatment center or wherever you go. But the point is, is letting people guide you don't and then making an absolute decision to receive the help because a lot of people will give and take sure. or a lot of people will come in but then they'll make these other decisions or they the recovery process starts to kind of formate but in that time they start letting those worries sink in again yeah. so they don't completely give themselves to recovery they don't completely surrender yeah yeah hi james James, hello. Hi, Dana. I saw you say hi earlier, too. <laughs> Any questions from our audience over here? Nothing right now. I do want to say that the, the Sober Grind comes in many different platforms. Yes. Google Plus, right? Google iTunes, Play. Google Play. Yes. Google Plus. So many Nobody uses Plus, Plus anymore. Don't, it's we done? don't talk about that. Okay. It's still a thing, I think. Google Play. I don't, see, I don't use Google. I'm an iTunes type of guy. Okay. So any kind of podcast, any kind of platform, you guys can uh, tune in on it. It's on YouTube. It's on iHeartRadio. Yeah, iTunes, of course. Um, yeah, I think we're on Stitcher. Stitcher. Everywhere. See, I don't even know what that yeah, is. Yeah, there's a, there's a million... Um, I, I use Podcast Addict, for instance, uh, to listen to all my... There's a, a you just type in Sober Grind and you'll so, be able to find us. Do a Google search for Sober Grind, you'll find us. We also just started 
individual social media pages for for sober grind so we would love to um have you follow those there's going to be some behind the scenes stuff uh pictures behind the scenes footage uh really unique stuff that's hopefully helpful uh we're on facebook i believe it's in the description of this i think the url is is sober grind podcast we're on instagram twitter uh all over the place yes so and if you if you do follow us give us some feedback like tell us what you think of the show what you would like to see uh what would be helpful what would be helpful that's the whole purpose what should we talk about we like doing we like to have people on the show you know sometimes to be our special guests or to give their testimonials three to five minutes yeah it depends it varies you know we do all different types of things yeah i mean if you want to help out with the spreading of public awareness this is the perfect platform to do so we can talk over the phone or or just say your uh, recovery story if you'd like to share it we can keep it anonymous whatever's best for you Mm -hmm. and keep spreading hope and positivity that's right and then we also have a page on facebook called ask an addiction specialist and you can either it's down there in the bar or you can type it into the bottom top bar right there if you go to the ask an addiction specialist page you can ask questions if you are struggling yourself you can ask questions or if you have a loved one that is ask questions and we have uh, professionals that will be readily available to answer your questions or people in recovery that have been around for a while that with their experience strength and hope they might be able to help you out too me included absolutely yeah and lastly if you're struggling if you have any questions if you have a loved one that's struggling with with an addiction or or it's getting to be bad to that point please feel free to reach out to Pej at any time Facebook, phone, email. You can also reach out directly to Beginnings Treatment Centers, who's the sponsor of this podcast. You can find more information at beginningstreatment.com or calling 800-387-6907-247, around the clock. We are here to help you and answer all of those addiction questions that you have. Anything else we could discuss today? I'm good. I think we covered a lot of ground. Thank you, thank you, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Break through your roadblocks. Break through those roadblocks. Get it. Sober grind. Out. Out.